Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. So for this week, in honor of Hanukkah, we're going to take a break from Pirkei Avos, from the ethics of our fathers. And I wanted to give a little bit of a historical background about Hanukkah. And additionally, give a few lessons. I'm going to try to do three tonight, which we can take out of the holiday to help us um, be better people and improve ourselves as Jews and our connection to Hashem. So just to give you a little background about the holiday of Hanukkah, I'm sure many of us know from when we were kids about the holiday with the Greeks and the Maccabees and dreidel, latkes, jelly donuts, oil, menorah, all these things. You know, we all have a lot of information that's that we've that we've had throughout the years from that that adds to our general knowledge about Hanukkah. And tonight I just wanted to give maybe round out any corners, fill in any blanks to make sure that we all just to maybe enlighten us to give the the full picture about Hanukkah. So the first thing is that when did the story of Hanukkah take place? So approximately 200 years after the building of the second temple is the setting of the story of Hanukkah. And that's when it takes place. It happened during a time after the death of Alexander the Great. He was the emperor of the Greek empire. He was the king of the Greek empire. So after his death, the kingdom, the Greek kingdom or empire was known as split into three smaller Greek style kingdoms. The first one was the Greek empire, which was based in Greeks, which was smaller than it was originally under King Alexander. The second one was the Seleucid Empire, which was based in in Syria, which was also, like I mentioned, Greek culture, Greek language, so on and so forth. And the third branch or break-off of the original Greek Empire of Alexander the Great was the Potomac Empire, which was based in Egypt, which which also followed Greek customs and Greek culture as well. Now, if you look at a map, the land of Israel is located right in between these two smaller Greek nations, right? So you have on, on this in the south, you would have the Potomacs who were in Egypt. And to the north in Syria, you had the Seleucids who were also Greek cultured and Greek language. And it, it's noted that the land of Israel definitely had a, a great value to these empires because of its strategic location uh, as a land route between Africa and Europe. So it definitely was a desirable location. So under Emperor Antiochus of Syria, the Seleucids, right, the Greek Seleucids invaded the land of Israel. So, and they conquered the land. Now, although the Jews were not in a physical exile at that time, meaning that the Greeks weren't looking to destroy the Jewish people physically. 
and but rather they were in a virtual exile, a, a spiritual exile. What does that mean? It means that during this time when the Antiochus and his army took over the land of Israel, the Jewish people and the Jewish religion came into the forefront and the purview of the occupying Greeks. The Greeks, they didn't want to kill the Jewish people. Rather, they wanted to kill them spiritually. They wanted to influence them and assimilate them. And assimilate the land of Israel, making it another vassal state to the of Greece. And we see this in the biggest example is it the biggest example of this is the fact that the Greeks, when they took over Jerusalem, they didn't destroy the temple. They didn't burn it down, but rather they defiled it. They brought their idol worship into the base Amigdash, into the temple. They didn't want to kill the Jewish people, but rather they, they outlawed mitzvos, which make us special, which make us unique and holy. They banned circumcision. They banned keeping Shabbos. They banned the Jewish calendar. The study of Torah became illegal. They, they even, the foundations of our religion, they tried to uproot. The, the mitzvos, which give us kedusha, which give us holiness, which make us separate and unique from the rest of the world, they try to get rid of. Now, the Greeks were successful in their, in, their, in their objective to a certain degree. Many Jews who were under Greek rule adapted the new, the new and modern, quote-unquote, Greek lifestyle. And they became, they were very successful in, in implementing Greek culture into the Jewish people and to the land of Israel. There were even cities, whole Jewish cities of, of Jews who, were, who became known as Hellenists, where they adapted all the, the styles, the haircuts, the, the, uh, they participated in athletic events of the Greeks. They totally became Greeks. And they, they viewed their new lifestyle as modern, the way of science, and the, the Torah way of life was looked down upon ancient and really not applicable in today's, in today's day and age. And that was then. Now, although there were many, many Jews who gave in to the culture of the time, to the culture of the Greeks, there were many Jewish people that were committed and stayed loyal to the Torah, stayed loyal to Judaism. They continued to live as Jews, to observe the mitzvot, despite the risks that, that were of death at the hands of the Greeks. Now, at a certain point during this occupation of, of Israel, of the Greek rule, a small group of Kohanim, priests, which was led by Matasio, the high priest, and his sons, Judah Hamakabi, they felt that although they were performing the mitzvot in their, in their own small communities at risk of death, 
they felt they had an obligation to fight a guerrilla warfare against the Greek army. They, they believed that it wasn't just enough for them to do mitzvot, but rather they needed to stand up for the Torah, to stand up for God. And we know they felt they had this obligation to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the MS, the truth, and what's correct. And now, although from our perspective, from a military's perspective, a, a natural look at the world perspective, it seemed as if it was a hopeless task, the Maccabees still didn't let that deter them from, from waging their war against the massive Greek army. So even though it tactically looked like a lost cause, they believed what they were doing was correct and therefore stood up for what they believed in. And as I mentioned before, they became known as the Chashmonaim, the Makabim. Now, this part of the story, many of us know already, but in a, in a miraculous fashion, the Maccabees defeated the massive Greek army. And at the time, I think historians bring down that the Greeks had well-trained soldiers, had units with elephants in it, and they were able to, to drive the Greek army from the land of Israel to get them out in a miraculous fashion. Liberating the land of Israel and the Holy Temple from Greek heathen hands. When they entered the temple, the Maccabees wanted to light the menorah. But they couldn't find any oil in the whole Besamigdash, in the whole temple that had not been defiled by the Greeks. Every single flask of oil that was in the Besamigdash, the Greeks had made sure to open and defile because that was their mission. And we're going to get to that soon. Really, the, the bottom, the, the actual source of the conflict between Greece and the Jews. They didn't want us to have that Kedusha. So they defiled the temple. They didn't destroy it. They kept it. But they made it, they didn't keep it holy. It became just another place. And miraculously, the Maccabees, they found one flask of oil. One little jar of oil that was not touched, that was not desecrated by the Greeks, that still had on it the seal of the Kohen Gadol, the seal of the high priest. And this oil, it was enough for one day. And they took it not knowing, you know, that they weren't going to be able to perform the mitzvah after this one day, and they poured it into the menorah, and they lit it. And instead of lasting for one day, the oil miraculously lasted for eight days until more pure oil could arrive. Now, it's interesting. When the miracle happened, you know, if you look at the timeline in history, about the war and the miracle of the of the oil, there's a little bit of a gap. The, the war took some time. It was a it was a 
long campaign. And, you know, the 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 Hashmonaim, they weren't a hundred, you know, they were having these victories, but they weren't a hundred percent sure if what they did was what Hashem wanted, what God had wanted, if it was the, the correct thing to do. It was not until the miracle of the oil that they realized that everything that had happened until that point was a miracle and part of the divine plan, and that it was the correct action to take. It signified that the Maccabees had acted correctly to wage war against the Greeks in the honor of Hashem. And it showed that the Jewish people would endure. The light of the Torah would not be extinguished. And this is just, in, and therefore they established as a commemoration for this miracle and for this idea that the Jewish people are eternal. And the light of the menorah, and that the Torah is eternal as well, they established that every year the, the Jews should light the menorah wherever they may be as a commemoration for the miracles that happened during that time. Because the Hanukkah menorah was only lit, I'm sorry, not the Hanukkah menorah, the menorah in the temple was lit every day. And this, this mitzvah was commanded for all Jews everywhere as a memory for us that of the miracle that happened in those times and the lessons that we can learn from it, that number one is the Torah and the Jewish people are forever and the special sanctity that we have as Jews. And we have to realize that, which when I say sanctity, it's this Kedusha. That's what they wanted to destroy. And I'm going to, and just to get to a, the root, of the war between the Greeks and the Jews was much more than a, a physical battle for power, for land, for riches that was involved in the equation, but it was much deeper than that. It was a battle between two opposing outlooks, two different visions of what man's mission in this world is. It was a, it was a battle between the true essence of phys physicality and spirituality. Now, the Ramban, Nachmanides, explains that the Greeks, in their, I guess, in their sciences and their philosophers, they denied anything that they could not sense. And that they were arrogant enough to believe that anything that they could not understand was not true. So that their belief was is that if I don't understand something, it must be it's not real. If I don't understand how something works, it doesn't exist. If my physical senses can't determine something, it's false. In Judaism, the, in the Torah's outlook is that we believe that our senses can only see so much. We're, we're finite. Our physical selves are not able to see the whole picture, right? And that's the example I give a lot of times of the, those type of pictures where you, if you look very closely, it looks like a blur, but if you pull it out, it's a beautiful portrait. Because, and that really 
is what we are in this world. We, we don't see the whole picture. We just see things zoomed in. We think we know. Sometimes we want to know. Doesn't make sense to us sometimes. But we have to realize at the end of the day that if we can't fully sense something, we can't figure out something, it doesn't mean it's not true. Because we have limitations. And we believe that there's a greater power who's, who's in a realm of perception that we can't even imagine. We can't even begin to imagine. In Judaism and Yiddishkeit, the truth, our morals and our values are not determined by how a human being looks at something, but rather they're from God and the Torah which is one, right? God gave us the Torah. They're not determined by how a human being looks at something, but rather from God. The Greeks, on the other hand, they believed that their senses, their perception, determined truth, determined morality and ethics. And this is the really the, the root of the war or the battle of the outlooks, I guess, the, 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 if you get to the core of the dispute between the Jews and the Greeks, is that it's not, is it, is it all about the physical or is there, a little, is there more to it? There are things that we can't understand. So the Greeks thought, if we can't understand it, it's not real. But in Judaism, we know that's not true. We know that's not true because just because we don't understand something fully, we only are seeing the top, the top layer. Right, And we don't begin to understand everything else. And that's why we know, we believe that Hashem is, is, a, great, is a power greater than us. And that's, that really comes down to the source of the machlokis, the source of the argument between the Jews and the Greeks. And that's why it wasn't just about the land, power, and the riches, but rather a much more philosophical and deeper battle. Now, I just wanted to quickly go through tonight with the rest of this class. I want to talk about three lessons that we can learn from Hanukkah. Three very practical ideas which we can appreciate, which we can apply to our lives, and which we can learn from. The first idea which I want to share tonight is the idea called the miracle of nature. And the way I want to preface this is with a famous question. There's a, the Beis Yosef, who's one of the commentaries on the, the tour, which is one of the early codifiers of Jewish law. He asked the question as follows. We know that there's eight nights of Hanukkah. And if I ask you, why are there eight nights of Hanukkah? You'll tell me that since the oil lasted for eight nights, so therefore we have eight nights of Hanukkah. But I have a question back for you. If the oil was meant to last already one night, right? It was supposed to last one day. So then the miracle was only the seven extra days that happened. There were not eight. So why are there eight days of Hanukkah? It should be a seven-day holiday. If we're commemorating the miracle of the oil, 
So the miracle was only seven days. The first day was not a miracle because it was meant to last that long. That's the famous question of the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Why do we have eight days of Hanukkah? should be seven because the first day is not part of that miracle. Now, there are many answers which are given to this question. It's a famous question, and there are many, many, many answers which are given. One answer which I wanted to focus on tonight is a very beautiful thought. Many times we, we look around, and there's, we, there's this term that's used it's called Mother Nature. Mother Nature. Mother Nature is going to make it snow. Mother Nature is going to do this. And we just take all these things from quote unquote Mother Nature for granted. It just happens. And for our own bodies, our, the things, you know, the things that we do on a daily basis, we, we see, we hear, we could eat, we could, we can go to the bathroom. Our heart beats. So many things are just happening. And we don't even notice it. A child is born. How many amazing things happen during the, during the course, pregnancy, childbirth, right? You look at a plant, a fruit growing from a tree. Isn't that amazing? A seed rots and slowly it regenerates back all the way into a new fruit. There's so many things in this world that we just look at and we take it for granted. We don't realize, since it happens all the time, we don't appreciate it. And I'll just make it, bring it back to the story of Hanukkah. Why is it that oil burns and vinegar doesn't, right? So you'll tell me all the things, oil is a fuel, and you can tell me all the scientific things about it, but you still get to the bottom, of the end of the equation, you're still left with the question, why does it burn? And the oxygen and this and that and all the chemical equations. But the point I'm trying to bring out is that there are so many miracles in our lives, and the, when the fact that we have eight days of Hanukkah, the first day... That extra day is for us to appreciate even the small miracles in our lives, which happen all the time. I shouldn't call them small even. It's for the miracle of nature. That who makes it that oil should burn? Who makes it that the apple should grow? Who makes it that we should see? Who makes it that we should feel, eat, be able to give birth? All these miracles that happen all the time, our heart should beat. And it's for us to have that realization. And that's one of the ideas of Hanukkah, to from the open miracles, appreciate the hidden miracles as well. And I shouldn't even call them hidden. They're only hidden because we don't notice them. But they're really all over the place. And that's part of the, one of the ideas of Hanukkah, for us to appreciate the miracle of nature and how everything runs properly. And that's why we have eight days of Hanukkah. So that's one of the answers, which is a very beautiful thought. A second idea which I wanted to share tonight is the idea of rededicate is the idea of rededication and renewed commitment. So if I would ask you what does Hanukkah mean? Right? We celebrate Hanukkah. We say happy Hanukkah. We do all these things for Hanukkah. 
But what does the word Hanukkah mean? Did you ever think about that? So there's different explanations. There's two main explanations about it. The first one is the fact that Hanukkah, that the word Hanu, Ches Nun Vav, means rest. And Chaf and Hey at the end of the word means the 25th. So it means when we say Chanukah, we're saying that the Jewish people, the Maccabees, they rested from their battle on the 25th of Kislev, which is when Chanukah is. Now, another explanation is that Chanukah comes from the word Chanukas, which means dedication. And what happened during this holiday? That the Jews were able to liberate the Besamiglash, the temple, from the hands of the Greeks and rededicate it towards the service of Hashem to clean it out from all the idols, to light the menorah with pure olive oil, to rededicate it. So Hanukkah is not just a time for us to light a menorah and to play dreidel and to have donuts and latkes and give presents. Sure, these things are very nice. But it's also a time for us to have a little bit introspection ourselves, to rededicate ourselves to what we set ourselves out to do at the beginning of the year. Are we, did we make goals at the beginning of the year for ourselves? Are we meeting those goals? Spiritual, physical, whatever it may be. Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? It's a time to reflect and to gather ourselves, to gather our strength and to get up and try again because we know we're not perfect. And as it says, Sheva come. a righteous person falls seven times and he still gets up because we're human. We're going to make mistakes. But God has also given us in the system special times that are auspicious for gathering our strength together and getting back up to doing what we're supposed to be doing. Hanukkah is one of those times where we have the ability to tap into those into this time frame. And in Judaism, we don't just believe that when we have a holiday, it's a historical event, but rather it's also we go through the spiritual year as well. That just like thousands of years ago, there was this renewed spirit of dedication. So we have the ability now in 2021 or whatever year you're listening to this in to tap in to that inner strength, that spiritual rededication. And it's a good time to just think by the Hanukkah menorah, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe I should be doing a little better. Are there things, are there goals I have that I have not been reaching? And it's the perfect time to do that. Small things, that's what we always say, small objectives, which are reachable. doesn't have to be forever. Just got to be small steps. And that's the second idea I wanted to share tonight. And the final idea I wanted to share tonight for tonight is this idea of keeping the Torah learning going strong. We know, as I mentioned before, the Greeks wanted to make us not special. They wanted to make us like every other nation. They didn't like the fact that we have this kedusha, this holiness within us. They didn't like it that we're separate. They didn't like it that we are, that we are a holy nation who follows the Torah, 
who has a set moral code from God. And they therefore they outlawed different commandments and different mitzvos, which are the foundations of our religion. They outlawed bris milah, they out circumcision, they outlawed Shabbos, they outlawed the Jewish calendar, which helps us time, right? Time is so important. And they also outlawed Torah learning because they knew that what is intrinsic, what is important, what makes the Jews a Jews or what makes Jews Jews is not get filter fish, is not playing dreidel, is not giving presents, is not matzah balls. It's the Torah. And this is a, a very important idea that we have to remember. And I feel today, unfortunately, it's not, it's not stressed. Many people look at being Jewish as a cultural thing. It's not what, you know, so in that case, what binds Jews together? You felt the fish? What binds us together is the Torah. And it's a central, it is the central point that brings us all together. And it's something we should remember. And the Greeks realized it. And we for sure should realize it. That if the Greeks were willing to kill us for learning Torah, so shouldn't we be able to at least live for the Torah? If they're able to kill us because they don't want us to learn Torah, so we should at least be willing to live to learn Torah. And this is something we should realize, and this is one of the lessons of Hanukkah, because they, they recognize this importance. And we should take this lesson that we should all remember the importance of the Torah, the, the primacy of Torah study, of observance. And just uh, we should keep this in our mind because this is one of the beautiful ideas about Hanukkah, to strengthen our learning and to, and to realize that what keeps the Jewish people going till this very day is, is the Torah and mitzvos, and that is something we should all internalize and keep within ourselves and share with others. So that's going to finish for today. I hope you all enjoyed this special edition of the Pirkei Avos podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.